This week's episode of the Get Back Coach is brought to you by Odds Crowd. Odds Crowd has fantasy betting and leagues that include over $30,000 in cash prizes when you bet on NFL and college football. I'm taking part in Odds Crowd, so let's see where your bets stack up against mine. Here's how it works. Once you enter a contest, you place fantasy bets, not actual money, against real odds and lines. The most profitable bettors rise up the leaderboard. If you have the highest profit at the end of the contest, you win. And Odds Crowd isn't just fantasy betting contests. It's a social app for sports bettors. Free to download. You can group chat with other bettors, track your bets, set up private fantasy contests with your buddies, and much more. So download the app for free. And when you are there, put in referral code BRAN13. That's B-R-A-N-1-3. That'll tell them that Jake sent you. On this week's episode of the Get Back Coach, we recap week zero and preview week one with picks we then welcome on jay arnold where we talk college football his time at texas a&m and the playoff where we rank the best tailgate foods all that and a lot more all right let's get after it Welcome to another episode of the Get Back Coach presented by Branded Sports. I'm your host, Jake Myers. Week one of college football is on the horizon. Week zero has just concluded, and we have some things that we need to talk about. Uh, Jay Arnold from Texas A&M is going to be joining us uh, later on. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about week zero. Okay, And, and let's start with... Probably the headline that everyone is thinking about is how long is Scott Frost going to keep his job at Nebraska? Because if you watched the uh, Nebraska-Illinois game, Nebraska looked like a more talented team. But they continuously shot themselves in the foot. Now, I know that there was a, a very questionable roughing the passer call in the beginning of that game that would have been a Nebraska interception, probably would have set them up for another score and kind of took all, all the momentum away. And then it led to a Illinois touchdown that tied the game. But still, I mean – I think the biggest disappointment from that Nebraska team was the offensive line play. Illinois does not have a great defensive line. In my past blogs, I have said I thought that was going to be a weak point for that defense, and they got pressure on Adrian Martinez pretty much all day long. Uh, The only runs that were successful for Nebraska were Adrian Martinez scrambles. They were getting met. Their running backs are getting met pretty much in the line of scrimmage almost every time. You know, if Adrian Martinez doesn't run for 111 rushing yards, one of them being a 75-yard um, touchdown run, look like a, a quarterback draw, 
They only have about 50 yards of rushing. So again, Scott Frost is supposed to be this offensive-minded coach, and their offense has keeps regressing. Defensively, I think they looked okay. Defensively, it, their defense is going to keep them in games. But as time went on, as their offense kept giving the giving Illinois the ball back, kept putting them in bad situations, that defense got worn down. And that's going to happen when your offense is this miss like completely out of sync. And you look at that, what Nebraska did, just mis- just mistake after mistake shooting themselves in the foot. Illinois, um, you know, controlled that game in the entire second half. You look at the flip side, you look at Illinois, and, yeah, when Brandon Peters went out, their offense did take a step back with Sitkowski. Uh, I mean, that, that, that play I was referring to with roughing the passer, he got rocked. He, he threw a ball for an interception that should have never been thrown. But – the, they got better in the second half. They weren't trying to do things that Sikowski, you know, maybe something he was uncomfortable with. You got He got in the game. What did you see him throw? You saw him throw flat passes, hitches, little intermediate passes to matriculate himself downfield. You know, also trying to, you know, create the run game a little bit. Once they started doing that, then that opened up. Uh, Sikowski had that long throw later on in the game. But the good thing is he wasn't trying to force anything. I think the play caller was doing things that fit him. And honestly, honestly, Scott Frost was outcoached by Brett Bielema. Absolutely, completely outcoached. I don't know. Or how about this? The term outcoached is probably the most overused term in football, at least in college football. Because, you know, if another team has Jimmy's and like just better players, most likely they're going to win. You have to put your team in good situations. Now, with, with that being said, I think a lot of coaches um, get a lot of flack for being outcoached. When really, you know, the, the team on the other side was better and made plays at the end to, you know, to get the win. This game, Nebraska was outcoached. Nebraska turned the ball over. They, you know, couldn't establish a run game. Adrian Martinez is, is running for his life. Honestly, their best offense is when he just sat back and, and, and scrambled and got out of the box. That was and that that's not good going forward. So here's the thing: Nebraska's schedule coming up. They got Fordham. That's a win. Buffalo win. I, I'm I'm saying they're going to beat Buffalo. Oklahoma. They're going to get their bricks beat off. Um, and then you have Michigan State, Northwestern. Both teams are down. Those are two winnable games for Nebraska. So let's just say they win those two games. That puts them at four. I don't think they'll beat Michigan. I don't think they're beating Minnesota. They'll probably beat Purdue for five wins. And then you have Ohio State, Wisconsin, Iowa. You ain't winning any of those. You're not. 
just by how the offensive line played against Illinois, there is no way. Because I don't care how good your defense is, that if your defense is constantly on the field and constantly put in bad situations, they're going to give up points. And Illinois, that, that offense is no juggernaut either. So the big thing for Nebraska, they are looking at a five-win season. There is no way Scott Frost makes it out. No chance. He is a dead man walking. I thought, I mean, honestly, I mean, this is, we're recording now on Sunday, just to give you guys a heads up. Um, Who knows? He might be fired tomorrow before this comes out. But my thing is, you, you gotta, you gotta get rid of him. You have to. There's no, there is no way he goes to a bowl game this year. And if he goes five and seven and makes a goal bowl game, still fire him because it's not working. These are his guys. He's in year four. The upperclassmen are his guys. You cannot be losing games like this. You can't. Again, I see five wins on this schedule. I know Michigan's going to be down this year, but I don't see him beating Michigan. It is in Nebraska, which helps. I think Minnesota has Minnesota has everyone back. I just don't see it. Scott Frost, this is the end of Scott Frost. I don't know where he's going to end up because honestly, I won't. I wouldn't want him to come in after this. I wouldn't. Um, it, it, and, and it's crazy. Because think about it. He took a team from Central Florida that was 0-12, one of the worst teams in college football, and turned them into a group of five powerhouse. And then goes to Nebraska, where he's a Nebraska guy, and just can't get it done. And I I don't understand it. College football is a crazy world where sometimes it doesn't matter how good of a coach you are, sometimes not even how bad of a coach you are. If you're in the right situation and the right timing, um, it can make or break you. I don't know. Is Scott Frost a good coach? Is Nebraska who he is? Or was UCF what he was? I don't know. I don't I don't know. But wherever he ends up, because there's no way he's making it out this year, I'd like to see him try again in a, at a group of five team. I, I really do. I, I honestly think maybe he might be able to get it done again. Um, so Brett Bielema, huge win for him. I think that's a right fit, honestly. Uh, Nebraska, I wouldn't mind seeing Brett Bielema at Nebraska, to be completely honest. I mean, listen, Brett Bielema, he was at Wisconsin for a while. He had some really good teams. Went to a couple Rose Bowls, um, but then he hit that plateau and he needed to get out. He needed a fresh start, so he goes to Arkansas, and you know things just don't work out there. Again, it's about timing, it's about placement. But that team, halftime adjustments alone, that I like to, um, I like to grade coaches based on their halftime adjustments. Brett Bielema, fantastic halftime adjustments. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Scott Frost, it looked like it looks like they did nothing at halftime. Again, is Illinois gonna make a run at the at the Big Ten West? Probably not. 
they're they're just going to be outmatched most of those games against the Iowas and Wisconsin's. Minnesota's going to be good this year. Um, but it's a step in the right direction. You know, the Big Ten needs the like teams like Illinois to be solid, to be good, to go to bowl games and represent the Big Ten. And I think Brett Bilma is going to have a scrappy bunch of guys. Um, I hope he stay honestly. If they have a good year this year, which again, who who knows if they do or not. But if Bielema rattles off a couple good seasons for Illinois, you know maybe he'll go somewhere else. Um, maybe he maybe he can completely reinvent his career or rejuvenate his career. Um, next game, UConn, uh, Fresno State. UConn is very very bad. That is a bad – you want to talk about bad offenses? Nebraska makes UConn look like – or sorry, UConn makes Nebraska look like the 2001 Hurricanes, the 2001 Miami Hurricanes. That's how bad this offense is. Fresno State started off a little slow, trying to shake the cobwebs out. Um, Hayner at the beginning didn't look that great quarterback for Fresno State, who who should be one of the better quarterbacks in the group of five. But, man, UConn is just bad, 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 bad. And I'm seeing UConn fans on Twitter. Okay, I, I don't like Randy Etzel. I don't. I, I don't think he's a good – I don't think he's a great coach. I don't think he can build a program. I don't like him at UConn. I really don't. But these UConn fans are that are with the hyperbole of this isn't going to stand, and you know we waited two years and this is what happens. Yo, where were you two years ago? This team hasn't changed. This team's terrible. It's going to take time. But again, I don't know if Randy Etzel's the guy for the job. But did you really think this is going to be different? You were twenty-eight point fate, or sorry, twenty-eight point underdogs, and you're surprised by this. That's how I know that, and it's a it's a double-edged sword because we didn't have fans in the stands last year for college football, and I feel like this year everyone's like, you know what? It's it's like a fresh start. Hey, I'm going to jump on some college football. I'm from the northeast side of. Um, I'm from the northeast part of the country. I don't like Boston College. All right, I'll latch on to UConn. It, it's it's unbelievable. Like these UConn people are are are, are surprised and like upset. This is this, your program's terrible. I don't understand. I, I don't understand the hyperbole. Like, and I can't even call them bandwagon because they're not. But I just think they're they're people that just never paid attention and are now just jumping on the bandwagon. I saw one guy. He was freaking out. We waited two years for this. This is not going to stand. Are you surprised? You're 28 point dogs. What'd you think that? What you? What did you think was going to happen? Get out of here with that! With that fake outrage. You know, like be realistic here. If UConn wins three games this year, it's a freaking accomplishment. Um, I'll tell you what. Uh, UCLA surprised me like a lot, <laughs> a lot. Um, I said on the podcast before that Hawaii had good linebackers, had a good secondary. 
not so great on the defensive line. That was a kind of exploited a little bit with that with the option, but UCLA just took it to them, and they could have put up sixty, I think, if they really wanted to. Um, you know, Thompson Robinson again didn't look perfect, didn't look fantastic, but looked solid. The offense looks good, very high tempo, and again. I don't think Hawaii is this bad. I don't think they're great. I think they're, you know, a seven-win football team in the Mountain West, which, you know, again, isn't great, but they're not awful. So when when they put up, when UCLA puts up these amount of this that amount of points and that amount of time, and they really called off the dogs in the second half, it got my attention. UCLA's defense swarming to the open field. It looked like it was like a speed bag and a punching bag. UCLA's defense was flying all over the place. Hawaii looks slow, which isn't like Hawaii. And I know their offense isn't what it used to be, but still, UCLA could have really done more or really beaten Hawaii by a lot more. Um, We're, we're going to talk about it a little bit, but that UCLA-LSU game, that's going to be a good one. I really do think so. So now let's talk about week one. We have a full slate starting on Thursday with um, with week one. I can't remember the last time a week one of college football was this stacked. Um, so we're going to go through them. Uh, I'm not laying bets on every game. I'm letting you know right now. And I know last week I went really in-depth and detail about all these different matchups. I'm going to really try and keep these as as, uh, short and to the point as possible. So Thursday, Temple is playing at Rutgers. Listen, uh, Shiano has almost everyone coming back for the Scarlet Knights. I know it's Rutgers, but I think their fans are going to be pretty fired up. There should be a decent crowd to have that Jersey versus Philadelphia kind of feel to it. Um, Temple's in a bit of a rebuild. They're trying to go bowling. They have a shot to go make uh, have a six-win team here. Um, Temple's offense is really going to struggle in this game. Uh, their defense, I think it will keep them in it. I think their defense is pretty good. They have a lot of guys back. But I think Rutgers takes care of business, and I think they win by over two touchdowns, which the spread is at 13.5. I will take Rutgers – Minus 13 and a half for that game. Uh, as of now, I want to see where this line goes, but as of now, I like 13 and a half. So if you guys see this when this drops at 13 and a half, man, get that at 13 and a half. I think it might go up. Boys, you say that UCF, I am not betting on this game. I'm not. I think it's going to be a great game, though. Um, Boise State lost their uh, kicking tee retrieval dog. So I don't know. Is this a you know what people call dead mascot game, where if a mascot or if a live mascot dies, the team plays a lot better? I don't know. Again, it's at UCF. It's at the bounce house. Um, UCF's offense, I think, is going to be really good. You got Dylan Gabriel back, who's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the in the NCAA. Defense is very boomer bust. They have the tackles for losses. They have the sacks, but. I get beat on big plays. They're big, high-risk, high-reward type of defense. Um, I think that might play into Boise State's favor. 
They have a re- Boise State has a really good receiver. Look out for Khalil Shakir, uh, big time deep threat. Uh, the quarterback Hank Bachmeyer is good. He's got to play more consistent. I don't know who's going to win this one. I would say use if I would take anybody, I would take just UCF, just the money line. I wouldn't put anything on the spread. But again, I'm not betting on this game. Lastly, Thursday night game, Ohio State at Minnesota. I want to take the Golden Gophers so bad in this one. I want to take them so bad. Uh, they have everyone back. It's going to be in Minnesota. You know, the Gopher fan base is going to be pretty, I think, pretty hostile in week one. Again, fans are back in the stands. But Ohio State just has too many weapons to – they just have too many weapons Like at the end of the game. So th- this is this is why I'm not betting on it. Um, and again, they're 13 point, uh, Minnesota is a 13 point dog here at home, but I just don't like how it's going to be at the end of the game and Ohio State's going to be up like a touchdown or maybe like 10 points. And then they're going to put up one more at the end, like to, to solidify it to like, Hey, this game is over. And I see that happening and I'm just like, nah, you know what? I'm not touching this game. Not touching it at all. Ohio State wins. Minnesota, I think, does keep it close, though, for at least the beginning. Friday night. Uh, let's start this off with Michigan State at Northwestern. Um, Northwestern is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm taking Sparty here. And you know what? Don't be afraid to take that money line, too, on Sparty. I am not taking the money line, but I'm telling you guys, if you want to – if you want the best shot for an underdog to win, I'm telling you, Michigan State, uh, Northwestern. Northwestern loses a lot of pieces. I know Pat Fitzgerald is a fantastic coach. I'm not sure what Mel Tucker is. I just think that Northwestern has to replace a lot of people. Michigan State is kind of you know rebuilding a little bit. They have some guys coming back. I, I think Michigan State covers here, so I'll take Sparty plus three and a half. And, again, if you want to take a little bit gamble on a money line, this is the game to do it with Michigan State. Uh, Friday, North Carolina at Virginia Tech. To me, this line is way too low. North Carolina goes on the road to Florida State – or, sorry, Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, and they're five-point underdogs. I don't think Virginia Tech is good. I really don't. I think North Carolina, or what they lose in the backfield, I think they definitely can replace that. I, I see North Carolina winning this by double digits. I really do. It, it's one of those lines that looks too good to be true. So my gut is telling me take Virginia Tech because they're going to surprise you because this line is too low. But my brain is telling me, no, dude, definitely take Virginia Tech – or sorry, definitely take North Carolina here because they are definitely more talented. They have a better quarterback. They have a better um, offense. Their defense should be able to handle Virginia Tech. What are you doing? Don't even think about taking Virginia Tech here. Take North Carolina. I'm going with my brain. I'll probably regret it, but I'm going with my brain. I'm taking North Carolina minus five. If you're a person that likes to go with, with your gut – uh, take Virginia Tech plus five. My gut's telling me plus five Virginia Tech, but my brain's talking me out of it. North Carolina minus five for me. Saturday, big noon kickoff. Penn State at Wisconsin. Now, I don't bet on my team. I don't. I try to keep 
my emotions away from my gambling. Penn State, five and a half point underdogs in Camp Randall. I'm taking Penn State here. I'm not saying Penn State wins. I do think this is a game Penn State loses to. They've they've beaten Wisconsin, I think, the last six meetings. Wisconsin hasn't beaten Penn State in 10 years. That's the last time Wisconsin's beaten Penn State. Um, I, I just think in Camp Randall, in that environment, I think Penn State's defensive line is not going to be great. I think their defensive line, uh, besides P.J. Mustafar, is mostly all going to be transfers. So I just don't know how that matchup's going to be. They also lost um, Adisis Isaac, really good edge rusher for Penn State. Uh, he's out for the year, uh, got hurt in practice. I I don't know. I just think Penn State holds this one. I do think they lose, but I think they do cover. I do think they cover. Um, but again, the big matchup, Penn State's defense – or sorry, Penn State's defensive line against Wisconsin's offensive line. I do think Penn State has a lot of speed. I think they have a lot of good skill guys that are better than Wisconsin skill guys, but Wisconsin, man, that, that's it's it that game is running one in the trenches. So the big matchup, D line, Penn State's D line against Wisconsin's O line, but I'm taking any lines plus five and a half. Alabama at Miami. Uh Bama is 18 point 18 and a half point favorites. I will take the 18 and a half Alabama. Listen. Alabama's defense is probably the best in the country. I would take just with that matchup alone. I don't think Miami's going to score a lot of points. I think they're going to keep King in the pocket. They're going to force him to throw. They're going to, you know, make him throw on the run. I do think Miami will keep this close in the beginning just because of Miami's defense, most specifically their pass rush. And I think they'll be able to get after Bryce Young early. A few adjustments. This one is over early fourth quarter. I think Bama's up 20 in the fourth, but I'm taking Crimson Tide, 18 and a half. Um, Indiana at Iowa. Um, I'm taking Iowa minus three in Kinnick. Indiana and Indiana fans, listen, it's fun getting good. Like when your team's a good team after years of terribleness, it's good to finally get there, but it's very hard to stay there. Iowa is a team that is consistently good year in and year out. They have a great O-line anchored by Linderbaum. Um, Petrus is back. Goodson's back in the backfield. I think this Iowa offense is going to be good. And more importantly, listen, I like Michael Penix Jr., but he's coming off ACL surgery. You don't know what type of player he's going to be after that. So just for that, I don't know how he's going to be. I don't know how this Indiana offense is going to be because without Penix Jr., they they are not good. That offense is not good without Penix Jr. I think Iowa's defense is going to be able to handle them, and I think Hawkeyes minus three. I think that's – again, I think it's too easy of a bet, but I, I like that. Hawkeyes minus three. West Virginia at Maryland. The big question is what – type of Maryland Terrapins team are we going to see? Are we going to see the Maryland Terrapins team that beat up Penn State? Or are we going to see the Maryland Terrapins team that, you know, loses to teams that they shouldn't lose to? 
This is Maryland's probably the most hot and cold team I've seen in the last, you know, two years. Um, West Virginia minus three on the road. I do like that. I think West Virginia's defense is going to be really good. They do have to um, replace uh, Darius Stills. But other than that, I think they should be great. Uh, the other Stills brother is there. I think their secondary is good. Defensively, I think they're solid to handle Tugavaloa. Offensively, I don't know. You know, uh, Do- uh, oh, I can't think of his name. I want to call him Doge, but I think it's Dogie. I, I'm going to call him Dogie. Uh, West Virginia quarterback Do- Dogie. Uh, he showed glimpse of of him starting to come around last year. I don't know. I, I just think Maryland's too inconsistent. I'm taking West Virginia minus three. I think Neil Neil Brown will be able to get his players in the position he needs to. All right, we talked about this a little bit before. LSU at UCLA. Man, all right. I'm, West UCLA really impressed me. It's in UCLA. Hopefully there's more. Oh, yeah. This is the other thing. Before we get into this game, UCLA, there's, I don't know, there's probably maybe one UCLA fan listening to this podcast. What an embarrassment. Your first game back and you don't have, what, 5,000 people in the Rose Bowl? Are you kidding me? And against Hawaii, like, again, this isn't some, you know, FCS joke school. It's Hawaii. It's a decent program. And you sell 5,000 tickets? Come on, be better. Like the Rose Bowls, I tell you what, LSU is going to bring fans to the Rose Bowl next week, and you better better match that because they will play neck and they will scream obscenities and turn uh, it into a home game for themselves. So UCLA, sell your freaking tickets. Anyway, uh, Bruins. I'm taking Bruins plus four and a half. LSU has some studs. Cornerback, their cornerback duo is really good. They got some good receivers, but I don't know if they have consistent guys up front. When I watched UCLA, I saw a group of guys that I think speed-wise and skill-wise will be able to hang with them, will be able to hang with LSU, I mean. Um, I don't know how Brennan is going to be. I don't know if we're going to see some Finley. I I don't know. But uh, this defense is boom or bust, like I talked about UCF. LSU's defense is very boom or bust. They're either in your face holding you to 10, 13 points a game or last year where they gave up like 40-some to, I believe, like Mizzou. I don't know. It was Mizzou, maybe Auburn. I don't know. But LSU just gave up like a, a crap ton of points to someone. Um, but, yeah, I'm taking Bruins plus four and a half. Also taking the over, 66 and a half. Even though UCLA's defense did impress me, eh, I think LSU is going to put up more of a fight than Hawaii. Uh, Louisiana Lafayette raging Cajuns at Texas. Um, thank you, CEO Joe, if you're listening. Um, he said last week on the podcast, get Louisiana Lafayette at plus nine. Good thing. Uh, now it's at eight. It's going down. So I would get on that right now. As soon as you hear this, check the line. Um, but anyway, listen, Raging Cages, they might be the best. They may be 
They're probably the best Sunbelt team. They might be the best team in Group of Five. Texas is in full rebuild in the Sarkeesian era. This one's going to be closer than the expert, experts think. Uh, I like Louisiana Lafayette plus nine here. I'm not saying they're going to win, but I do like them. All right, Saturday night special here. Georgia versus Clemson in Charlotte, not in Death Valley, which I hate, by the way. Oh, my God, I hate neutral side games. Talent-wise, I think Georgia's might be better than Clemson here. Um, I know um, uh, DJ Uwalongali is – I know he looked good against Notre Dame, but I think Georgia's defense, more specifically their pass rush, they're probably the best pass rush in the country, is not Notre Dame's defense. They got dudes. They got guys. And I think they're going to put a lot of pressure on Clemson. Um I, I just think with Clemson having a new era after the Trevor Lawrence era, now you got DJ coming in, who again, who's a good quarterback, or at least from what we saw of him. I just think that that turnover, you know, I don't know. I just don't think this is the type of game Clemson wants at this time right now. I don't. Um, and man, if Georgia ends up beating, I'm so I'm taking Georgia plus three. But man, if Georgia beats them, and like kind of what Joe was saying last week, if Clemson loses this game, goes undefeated, and then you have a one loss Georgia, like after the SEC championship, you have to put Georgia in. You have to. You have to. You you can't put Clemson in. If it's between Georgia and Clemson, you have to put in uh, Georgia. If you don't, you put in Clemson. Then why are we playing games? Again, this game, I think, is going to mean a lot at the end of the year. Sunday night, college football. Notre Dame at Florida State. I am not betting on this game. I'm not. Uh, Florida State is a seven-point underdog at home to Notre Dame. So I want to take Florida State here. I want to to watch this line a little bit because – Florida State's going to be honoring Bobby Bowden. So that in itself, they're going to be fired up. Notre Dame's going to be replacing a lot of production. Florida State has some guys back. It's at home. You know, their season is still ahead of them. The place is going to be packed. Man, it it feels, and I know we're in week one, but it feels like an upset to me. It does, or at least a close game. And again, I want to take Florida State plus seven. I really do. But I'm just not. I'm waiting on this here. I'm waiting on this. So when I, I'm going to reveal my picks again um, later on in the week uh, via video, like I did this week. But I'm going to wait on that one for a bit. Going to wait on that one. And then Monday, Ole Miss against Louisville. Right now the line is ten. Uh, Ole Miss is a ten point favorite. I got this. Oh, I want to say a month ago, maybe over a month ago, from Jeff Nadu, who said, look at this Ole Miss-Louisville line, and it was at eight. Now, I like Louisville. I said on this podcast, I think Louisville's a top 25 team. I don't think – or sorry, Ole Miss. Sorry. Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss is a, is a top 25 team. I don't think Louisville is there yet. I don't think Louisville's close yet. Uh, Ole Miss is going to sling the ball all over the yard. 
They are going to give up points, but I'm taking Ole Miss minus eight. Also, the over-under is 75 and a half. I'm going to chase those points, baby. It's it's high, but I'm taking it. So Ole Miss minus eight, I'm taking the over 75 and a half. All right. Now, without further ado, let's welcome on Jay Arnold. Right now, we're going to welcome on former defensive tackle from Texas A&M, the king of barbecue, Jay Arnold. Jay, welcome, man. Uh, what an intro, Jake. I appreciate you having me on. Hey, no problem. So um, I spoke earlier in the episode uh, before you joined about uh, some of the matchup we saw on uh, the week zero of college football. Did anything kind of jump out at you when you were watching uh, on Saturday? Uh, other than UConn being even worse than I thought, uh, no, nothing really surprised me too much. No, uh, I mean I had I actually expected Illinois to win mm-hmm. on uh, Saturday, and I mean that went about how I thought it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't expect the first points to be scored on a safety on a on a punt return, though. So that That's that so one jumped out football. a little bit. Oh, it's That's- perfect. It, it it is perfect. It's so it's like it's so Big Ten too. Oh man, I mean, I I saw a lot of people saying that if that Illinois Nebraska game, mm-hmm. I mean, the first point scored on that safety punt return wasn't exciting to you, then college football probably isn't your sport. <laughs> exactly. Like I get it. Not not um not only my college friends, but like my hometown friends, like who I grew up with. Like most of them aren't big college football fans, so like. I kind of get it from them every once in a while. Like, man, like, how do you like watch that? Like a safety in the beginning of the game, like a guy trying to throw it out of the end zone. I'm like, well, it's because we're sick people, dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, dude, I, I love Maction on Tuesdays. Oh, I think dude. it's the Midway greatest Maction. thing. It's magic. It's the greatest thing there. Um, you talked about UConn and it was kind of funny to me that, there were UConn people just all like out of sorts on Twitter saying about how embarrassing it is and how it's unacceptable. And my first thought is, have you not been paying attention the last three years? (laughs) No, I mean, UConn football has just been awful. I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Randy, what, what I, I, I don't know how a program gets that bad. I really don't. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a Randy Etzel fan, but like, and I know he has to recruit guys, and I know that's on him for not getting those guys, but like, it's not even him being out coached. Like, this isn't Scott, like, and we'll get into Scott Frost, but this isn't Scott Frost getting out coached. Like, this is just the other team has better players than you do. That offense is one of the worst offenses I've ever seen in my life. Uh, now, I mean, we talked about how we're college football fans and we watch mm-hmm. just disgusting things happen, but I think that UConn offense takes it to just a completely different level. Oh, it's so bad. I think I think at some point, like if your offense is just terrible, you have to abandon whatever offense you're running and adopt the wing tee. Like, <laughs> I think you should just have to do that. 
Do wait, did you did did you tweet that they need to run the triple? That they need no, to said Nebraska needs to run the triple. Oh, Nebraska, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man, like so. Um, I don't even think I don't even think uh, UConn can pull off the triple. I think that's too complex for them. That might be too complex. Like, <laughs> so just line I up know. in the Maryland eye and go. <laughs> oh my God, the Maryland eye. So I felt I feel bad for just UConn's defense. Because, like, in the beginning of that game, I was flipping back and forth. Like, Fresno State was kind of a little – they weren't really in sync, and UConn was making a punt. They were making them – like, I was like, okay, like maybe UConn's defense. But when you're – and I say this all the time, and I don't think enough college football fans understand. And, and listen, you play defensive line, so you should know. But, like, when your offense is so bad and you're constantly on the field, like, you, you can't expect – your defense to just hold teams the entire game. Yeah. Like, and you know what I'm well, saying? Yeah. The flip side of that is uh, sometimes your offense can be too good, right? If there's too many explosive plays and mm-hmm. you, you're getting back off the field. But one thing I noticed is uh, uh, that, that uh, you defense the gold defense could think that's actually affected by it too because you saw their guys cramping up oh yeah <laughs> you yeah. would think that you would think that fresno oh, state would have been prepared you know playing at home but like your guys are cramping up that so that reminds me so um and i know you and i talked about this before so like i coached junior college for a couple years at lackawanna college you know a pretty good uh juco school and we i think it was my second year and we had a really fast offense and like scored in like a couple different plays or whatever. And our head coach would be on the headset screaming at our offensive coordinator, like, you know, slow it the hell down. We got to get the defense a rest. Like, like you got to slow it the hell down, you know, but, but yeah, you're right. Like there is a flip side of that where your offense could be too good in scoring, but man, that UConn offense is just terrible. Like it's just so bad. Like it's, I mean, yeah, you, you have to wonder if like they're just going to give up the football program. Like that's legitimately. I so hope bad. they don't. I I, I, I don't want to see them give it up either. But like, no, man, just like and the, the support hope, doesn't seem to be there from the system. It's it's kind of a dire situation. It is, and I I don't know if you remember, but like in the late like two thousand like two thousand, it was that it was that Big East year where like Cincinnati, yeah. South Florida, and all those teams were good, and UConn was one of those teams that was a pretty solid squad. They were. They went to the Fiesta Bowl one year, yeah, like, and then it just completely fell apart. And I think. I think when the Big East dissolved, I think UConn was left in no man's land. Of like, and how they prioritize everything is basketball. So, because I think right now they're an independent. I believe. I don't I think, think for football they're independent. They're independent they, because they joined the AAC, and they had to join it in basketball, and then they hated it. So what they did was they got them out of the AAC. They became independent for football, which I mean. I don't know if they're doing that this year, but hey, schedule some cupcakes to at least, excuse me, like bump up your win loss record a little bit. But, but yeah, I mean Fresno's good though. Like, yeah, Fres- Fresno's a solid squad. They're solid. I mean, they're they're one of those group of five teams that usually tends mm-hmm. uh, to to be uh, a very solid squad. Yeah. And the Mountain West isn't terrible. 
Like no, I mean a couple good teams in there. There, there's years where Hawaii's good. Obviously, this doesn't appear to be one of those years. Uh, Boise State usually ends up being tough. Mm. Uh, Wyoming, if you play at Wyoming and you're a school, you're going to have problems there because mm. uh, that that elevation is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, they, I mean they've produced some guys like Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have San Diego State, who historically has some great rushers. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, guys like uh, Rashad Penny coming out of there. Penny was Pumphrey. It was Pumphrey the oh, the year yeah, before. Pumphrey, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you said Hawaii, and this is a good transition because I don't think Hawaii is that bad. I, I know it looked like they didn't even show up. So UCLA returned like nineteen starters. And last year, their worst loss was a six-point loss in Colorado. So they're reloading this year. I I honestly think they're going to make a run. So I think UCLA's at least for real where they can make a run at the Pac-12. But, man, Hawaii just looks slow for, like, the first time in a while. Yeah, and, I mean, to your point – I do think UCLA is going to be a solid team. Mm-hmm. We we don't know too much about the Pac-12 teams mm-hmm. after 2020 just because of the whole situation there. They're not playing out of conference games. Uh, but I do think Hawaii could still be solid. Obviously, first game of the year, uh, it, you don't want to draw too many conclusions, but I do agree with you where there seems to be a little bit of a lack of speed. Yeah, and like I thought – and last week on the podcast, I mean, and I was, I, I mean, I was completely wrong. I said that you know their linebackers are back, their linebackers should be good, their secondary should be good. You know that you know back half should be able to at least hold that you know UCLA that quick hitting RPO like they should be able to at least have guys there. But there were times they didn't have guys anywhere near posi- like in position, so. I don't know if that's just UCLA's running it that well or if Hawaii's defense actually took a step backwards. And that, that could be a, a coaching issue at that point. Right? And, yep, Todd Todd Graham, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> I forgot he was there. I would have never freaking picked him. Uh, <laughs> scumbag Todd Graham. Um, but, anyway, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, UJ. Um, so – how did you end up at Texas A&M? Well, growing up in Texas, playing high school football in Texas, uh, I was actually an Oklahoma fan growing mm-hmm. up. It's always a fun thing to explain to people. Everybody in my family was either a Texas fan or a Texas A&M fan. Mm-hmm. And being the little shit that I was, I decided mm-hmm. I wanted to be an OU fan. Nice. But, uh, you know, just kind of growing up, being around people that spoke so highly about Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I moved into high school and started getting recruited, uh, I mean, it becomes more of a business decision, right? Right. You're going to the the spot that you think is the best for you long-term. And uh, between, I mean, the coaching change, A&M deciding to go to the SEC, uh, all of that kind of coinciding with uh, my recruitment, I just mm-hmm. felt like A&M was the best fit for me. Uh, and then, I mean, I looked at it. I mean, we kind of talked about this before we went on. I didn't see myself as an NFL guy. Mm-hmm. And getting an A&M degree in Texas, I mean, the Aggie Network really is something that uh, is good to fall back on. Mm-hmm. Oh, I could imagine. I mean, they have a great 
I mean, I don't know, just as an outsider, as a guy from the Northeast, um, A&M seems like one of those places that, like you said, has a great network and, you know, has a real community-like atmosphere. Like, if you're an Aggie, you know, you're an Aggie, and, you know, people are going to take care. Like, there's that connection there. Um, and, and I know a lot of those bigger programs do have that, but I think Texas A&M is one of those that, you know um, – you know, if you went into any job interview and and you there's someone there who went to Texas A and M, like immediately, I think you got a leg up on them. Well, that's what uh, the 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 ring is for, the Aggie ring, <laughs> right? You gotta let people know where you went to school. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I got a th- I got a thumbnail that you put in the ring up. I gotta use that as the picture. <laughs> Look at that there right it there. Is. Perfect. <laughs> I already I already have the pose down, man. I'm yeah. go with this. <laughs> Flash that thing in there. Um, so you were a Kevin Sumlin guy. How was it um being under uh Kevin Sumlin? You know, uh for me, Kevin Sumlin, uh I enjoyed playing under him, but he he's more of a of a manager, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, especially like being a defensive guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though like his playing career, he was a linebacker at Purdue. Mm-hmm. Uh he was more of an offensive guy uh, as far as coming up through the ranks. I mean, mm-hmm. whenever he was at A&M the first time around, he was an offensive uh, guy under R.C. Slocum. Uh, mm-hmm. Then he was offensive guy under Stoops at OU. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, at Houston, his teams were offensive-minded teams. Minded. I mean, right. he had uh, Case Keenum there. Uh, mm-hmm. That ended up being really productive at U of H. Uh, so when he got to A&M, uh, he's more of an offensive guy. So, you know, I'd love to say that he was super involved on the defensive side of things, but it, I don't talk to the head coach whenever he's more of an offensive guy. Right. So I, I did enjoy playing under Coach someone, but, uh, you know, the offensive guys probably had more experience with him and probably have more uh, formed opinions than mm-hmm. I would. You know, it, it's funny you say that because, like, I mean, like, I think a lot of college programs I'm, are like that. Like, listen, I played at the smallest level of college football you could possibly play. And, like, that was like that with us. Like, I was a defensive player and the offense – or, sorry, the head coach, um, you know, was the off was more offensive-minded, had his hand in more of the offense and kind of let the defense do their own thing. And – Honestly, if any of the defensive players had a meeting with the head coach, it was usually a bad thing. Like yeah. it was never good if the head coach wants to talk to you if you play defense. If you yeah. know, that means so you either I, screwed up something off the field really bad yeah. or screwed up something in the classroom. It's it's usually never a good thing. <laughs> it's never a good thing, right? Um, okay, we're gonna get a little um, football technical here. Okay, um, not too bad though. So you're a defensive lineman. What was your go-to move? So my go-to move, I mean, I I set up everything. If you're talking about pass rush off of a bull rush, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, I I wasn't the most uh, explosive guy. I'm not the fastest guy, but I was pretty stout, and I was good at you know just kind of working that long arm to bull rush. Yep. Uh, okay. And then I would kind of work everything off of that. So I'd kind of bait with the long arm and then going into like a chop swim or a uh, – depending on what the guy gave me. But Mm -hmm. everything I worked was off the bull rush. Okay. I mean, you got to have – you got to have an arsenal, 
as a defensive lineman. You have to have a you have to have an arsenal. I mean, you can't. It doesn't matter where you play college. Like you, you you have to have something to go off of. You know. Now, did you usually did you usually play like a three or? So uh, when I was playing defensive tackle, I was a three technique. You were three. Okay. Uh, I did play a little bit of end my freshman year. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that, the last couple games of the season, Mizzou, and then the the bowl game against Duke. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was playing in there, mostly the, uh, the six technique. But uh, obviously, the the approach is a little bit different when you're when you're rushing from outside as opposed to inside, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you, you still want to honor your rush lanes either mm-hmm. way, but on the outside, you also have to worry about contain. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, there's a different approach for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you see a lot of like young defensive ends that are like flying up field and like, I mean, not so much in the NFL or sorry, in the, in like big time college, but like if you got a young guy there, like he's, he's trying to make a name for himself. He's trying to, you know, trying to get that big sack, but he's getting so far up field that, you know, <laughs> they're just going to go right underneath him. Yeah. You know? And that's, that's something a lot of guys have to kind of be, uh, coached out of right, mm-hmm. you're so used to in the high school game, especially uh, just kind of being able to take over with athleticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, I mean, for example, a guy like Miles Garrett coming in, mm-hmm. uh, he he's used to being the most dominant player on the field by far. Which, I mean, to be honest, he still kind of is. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but uh, he, he did have to, you know, kind of learn a little bit more of the technical side of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's it's something that you definitely have to get out of the habit of and seeing guys uh, rush up field, seeing different looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's uh, it's easier for some guys than it is for others. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, abs- absolutely. I mean, you know, I coached a little high school too, and, you know, I had a defensive end who was like – he was really good. His father played in the NFL, and, you know – He's like trying to pass rush every down. I'm like, you can't do that. Like, you yeah. got to know what down. I say, okay. The situation. Exactly. Like, hey, third and long, freaking pin the years back, freaking go. Go after him, you know? But, like, you know, maybe second and five or, like, you know, something like that. I say, you can't be flying a field like that. Quarterback's going to take a look and go right underneath you. What are you doing, kid? Yeah. You know? Um, but, no. Um, all right. So, you mentioned the Duke game, which I believe – you guys were down a lot, and then Johnny Football did Johnny Football things? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to say that the defense had a big role to play in that, but uh, when you give up 48 points, you can't really say it was a, a defensive performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we were down, I think. That was on New Year's Eve. I remember that. Yeah, it was – It was. I want to say, like, we were down, like, 20 points at halftime, mm-hmm. uh, maybe more. But, uh, yeah, Johnny did Johnny things, and – you know, we did we did seal the game defensive. Now we pick six from uh, uh, Tony Hurd taking it back, okay. uh, and uh, that that's the uh, the score that put us ahead. And then mm-hmm. we had another pick to to finish off the game. Mm-hmm. So we we did have a little bit of defense come through there at the end. Yeah, yeah. I uh, sorry, man. I took Duke, so I was like pretty. I was pretty pissed at the end. <laughs> That's that's why you gotta hedge your bets by uh, getting, I know. On, getting on the action at halftime, right? Yeah, it, I was like, it was at halftime. And I was like, oh man, like look at this, <laughs> look at this. Um, all right, man. Like I know you said this on Ibble, but like people listening are gonna want to know how how was it playing with Johnny? 
It was. I know this is a question you get all the time, and oh, probably always, always. It, but you got to uh, say. Right, I mean, it's. It was entertaining for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. I mean, when when somebody's that electric on the field, you know, sometimes <sighs> even in like practice, you get stop, you get caught up in in stopping and watching, mm-hmm. just kind of the magic happen. But uh, obviously, watching like the stuff against Alabama when you're uh, in 2013, where he he looks like he's sacked. At this one was the one at Kyle Field. Uh, he looks like he's sacked. He somehow gets out of it and basically just chunks the ball up. And I think Ed Pope was the one that went up and got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just seems like he made magic happen nonstop. Yeah. And uh, play, playing with a guy like that is extremely entertaining. <laughs> oh, I mean, it was entertaining to watch. I mean, <clears throat> I could just imagine in practice him just – because, like, we only see things he does in the game. But, like, he had to do some unreal things, like, in practice. Oh, I mean, it's just, like, it's it's shit that didn't even make sense, right? <laughs> like, you, you you get up and, you know, any anybody else playing that position, it's a turnover or an incompletion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he would just pull things out of his hat that, like, you, you can't help but just kind of stand back and be in awe. Mm-hmm. You can't even be mad at it at that point because yeah. he just – made it happen so often. Yeah. It had to be frustrating as a defensive player. Extremely. Especially defensive <laughs> line. Oh, man. Um, so you did um, have to retire from football a little bit early. Um, so kind of walk me through that. Like, how did you come to the decision of retiring from football? Yeah. Uh, so way it started, I mean, my – Junior year of high school uh, was the first time I had shoulder problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, playing defensive line, your shoulders are pretty much always under attack. Yep. I mean, that's – it's a tough injury to play with at that position. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I was able to just kind of power through it through high school. Uh, it come out every once in a while. And then, you know, you get to the college game. Offensive linemen are a little bit bigger, a little, mm-hmm. a little bit stronger, a little bit faster. And the wear and tear of that first season, I mean, uh, my shoulder was coming out probably a couple times a game at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have surgery after the 2013 season, uh, mm-hmm. after that bowl game against Duke. Mm-hmm. Uh, follow it up next season and the first day of full pads after surgery, uh, shoulders back out. <laughs> oh, so then I play through the 2014 season, same deal. Shoulders coming out during the game. Uh, I think Alabama they came out like three or four times in that first half. Uh, and, you know, it just – it wasn't getting better. And, you know, with the the amount of recovery it would have taken for that second shoulder surgery on the same side, mm-hmm. uh, we just kind of came to the decision that it was probably for the best that I hung them up. And obviously it's a tough decision, mm-hmm. but – you know, like I said, I never saw myself as an NFL guy. And playing football in the SEC is about as close as you can get without making it to the league. So I was always oh, yeah. proud of myself for at least accomplishing that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, I wanted to get myself healthy and continuing to play football. That wasn't going to happen. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, while you were at AM, um, 
did you have like a moment that you were like, like in a game or something that you were like, man, like, like I've made it, you know? Cause again, you were in the SEC, you were playing, um, you know, have you, have you ever, did you ever have like that moment where you kind of like, wow, like I just, or maybe after the game, you're like, like, damn, like I'm, I'm here. Like I made it. Dude, the 2013 against Mizzou uh, mm-hmm. was the first like time that I saw a ton of playing time in a game. So I, I would get worked in in rotation like a mm-hmm. little bit in the in the back half of games right. throughout that first season. But like 2013, Mizzou, uh, you know, we're playing the fifth ranked team in the nation. Mm-hmm. We're playing at Mizzou, and uh, ended up getting a sack on Matty Mock, and. <sighs> I didn't even know how to celebrate. I was just so excited. I just think I just like fist pumped. And it was the ugliest sack I've ever had in my career, too. That's the other thing. Like, I grabbed him and kind of like he tried to run off and tripped. So it it's was still a sack. Fast, but like, yeah, it's, it's like I felt like in uh, in Bench Warmers, right? That movie mm-hmm. uh, with uh, I'm, not, I'm trying to think of the guys. David Spade, David like, Spade strikes yeah. out and he, he's like, I ticked it. Yeah, that's how I felt on that sack. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. Dude, but that's, no, that's man, cool. like looking back after that game, I was like, "Holy mm-hmm. shit, dude!" Like, I'm gonna brag on myself, be like, "I was a true freshman." In the SEC just got a sack. Yeah, and then I had that's another awesome. sack in that game on James Franklin, which was kind of a gimme. But I was like, "Holy shit, dude! Two sacks as a true freshman? Are you shit!" Like a <laughs> Those bandit teams were decent then too. Oh, no, no, no. So this was a uh, quarterback, James Franklin. So this oh. was uh, – he played at Mizzou. Oh, okay. Hey, look, yeah, listen, so him, him and Matty Mock were, uh, James Franklin immediately goes no, to – I, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. <laughs> Damn, man. I, to be um, fair, I usually think of James Franklin, the coach, instead of James Franklin, the quarterback, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So what do you do now? What, like – I mean, I know you have a big uh, social media presence. Um but, like, what are some other things you're a part of, some podcasts, things like that? Yeah, the day-to-day job isn't that exciting, so we'll skip over that. But, uh, All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so speaking of podcasts, uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. I do a tabletop role-playing game. So think uh, Dungeons & Dragons. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Call of Cthulhu. And uh, I, I actually do a voice for this uh, game. Where I'm supposed to be like a like a knockoff Walmart brand Conor McGregor uh, in the <laughs> old west. Wait, so old like old Irish man from the old west? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like the old west. You, yeah, you know, it's historic. A lot of folks from all over the place back there, but uh, yeah, the game's called Call Cthulhu. The uh, podcast is actually a take on a uh, the the common uh, idiom from the Paul Feinbaum show. When fans call in yelling, they ain't played nobody. Oh yeah. Uh, so the uh, the the podcast is actually called "Ain't Slayed Nobody." Ain't slain. No- oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's a good. Uh, <laughs> very nice call to Fine Bomb because those people are freaking insane. That call in there. Oh, it's so much fun. So I, I kind of want to call in one day to be like, yeah. That's like honestly, man, like I don't listen to Fine Bomb. I mean, I mean, you were in SEC country, so I don't know if you guys like listen to any of that. But man, I think the only reason why he has stayed um, in the like his ratings was because of those crazy rednecks down there 
from the honky tonk, from the haulers that haul <laughs> in. And, you know, you know, you, you got Darlene from the trailer park that's yelling about <laughs> Auburn and, and all that. You know, complaining about Fine Bomb and then complaining about uh, Cow Herd, calling him Cow Turd and all that. Like, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. The, that's, no, the, that's, the callers definitely make that show. Oh, oh 100%. Um, all right. So you have, when's that next? Uh, you said the finale is going to be coming out soon, right? Yeah, I think I think it's dropping on Wednesday. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you want to get caught up, I think there's uh, 20 episodes roughly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do some some smaller stuff as well on Patreon. Uh, some some stuff, you know, throw us a few bucks. Uh, but uh, that's uh, what I spend most of my time when I'm not just kind of making appearances sparingly. Uh, I also do a little bit of blogging. Uh, yeah. Just occasionally if something comes to mind, my buddy got a little wordpress site it's called the hat media here and there so i'll go over there and blog if something comes to mind something pressing but yeah, well, what uh, do you usually what do you usually blog about i mean it I, it's been food it's been sports it's been just kind of whatever anytime mm-hmm. an idea pops in my head i just kind of mm-hmm. pop in there and uh say something about it uh, i'll occasionally i'll talk about MMA a little bit, talk about college football, maybe mm-hmm. touch on my uh, experiences as a player. If I see something that, you know, fans aren't really understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's always fun to just kind of get that perspective that maybe people haven't seen or something from inside the locker room that uh, maybe a story or something that was funny, like the locker room jousting deal. Uh, a lot of people don't know about uh, that story. Wait, the, uh, oh, man, you explained it, but I think I did see a, a video on that with the two guys in the carts. Yep. Yeah. So okay. it was, uh, Explain this. Yeah. Basically, in the in the throes of two days in fall camp, you have to find any way possible to entertain yourselves because you're just spending all this time at the facility. Mm-hmm. You know, you maybe go home to sleep, and that's about it. Uh, so you're around these same guys and you just end up doing some dumb shit. Well, we decided to take all the laundry out of two of the laundry bins. Mm -hmm. Uh, we had two defensive backs decide to get in one (laughs) each, uh, blue laundry bin threw some pads and some, uh, helmets on them. Then we grabbed some PVC pipe that was just kind of laying, laying around taped, uh, tennis balls on the end of it. And then push the two uh, blue bins at each other, and uh, we called it blue bin or locker room jousting. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> and it immediately led to us getting yelled at by our defensive coordinator. <laughs> oh, absolutely! You, you know, you, you know how that, um, or at least most people who've been in a locker room always know that when, whenever there's something going down like that, that's you know really fun, but just a little bit dangerous. You know, a coach is coming in to ring yeah. some guys out. Oh, you know yeah, it's yeah. coming. So basically he came in and said, we don't need to be doing that dumb shit and getting somebody hurt before the first game of the season, pushing each other in fucking locker room <laughs> laundry bins. But uh, it, it was one of the – like that's one of my favorite stories to tell. So occasionally I'll uh, I'll drop some blog knowledge on uh, some, some good old fall camp stories. Oh, yeah. Um, again uh, – I know you cover this on your uh, on Ibble. Um, just kind of, re- so I'll re-ask it, or you can tell it. But 
Um, I asked you before about the craziest atmosphere you've ever played in. You said LSU. Could you um, kind of expand on that and kind of tell the listeners, like, I mean, I think everyone kind of understands that LSU is, like, near the top of, like, crazy atmospheres. But, like, how was your experience, though, as a player to kind of give that player insight to that? Uh, I mean, they're just – they're probably the loudest fan base, first of all. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have a bunch of intoxicated Cajuns yelling at you at the top of their lungs. Uh, it's – I don't know if you've seen the videos whenever the band plays Neck. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Uh, basically, the whole the whole student section is chanting at you, suck that tiger dick, bitch. <laughs> and, I mean, a lot of people get uh, – you know, it's – it's not necessarily the classiest uh, move, but me personally, as a uh, as a visiting player, I, d- I thought that shit was hilarious. Yeah, like it's like one of those places. And I think they sell alcohol in the stadium, which I know just like adds to it. They do now, but yeah. They do now, yeah. But I mean, like, like everybody's sneaking in booze. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, can't drink in the stadium. Like I've every, seen every person I mean, in there has a flask in their fucking boot. I almost oh, guarantee yeah. it. Everybody. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I go to – I'm a season ticket holder for Penn State, and, like, they don't serve alcohol in the stadium. So, like, everyone gets all boozed up when you go in, and then, like, by the end of it, you know, you're pretty much sober coming out. But, yeah. you know, the thing with – I mean, I saw – and I know what's going on at Clemson, but, like, the, I saw a guy come in with a – the binoculars flask, and it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Because, like, I've seen him before, but I've never seen it done, like, in person. Like, this guy just unscrewing the, like, the glass of the uh, binoculars. And, and then when you say, like, people sneaking in booze, I'm like, oh, definitely some someone has to have that. Well, down I mean, there. like, you get it, like, strapped up to your leg in, like, one of those plastic yep. glass bags. Oh, yeah. There's, there's so many ways to do it. Uh, and people, people are creative enough. And, you know, it, you always have somebody in the student section that gets passed out and has to get escorted out of the stadium. Always. Always. But no, I mean that, I mean, that's a bucket list place to go to. I mean, listen, Kyle field is too. Kyle field. Um, what that before the game, the, the little, again, I call it the song, but I don't know what the heck it is. What's the song they play before the game where everyone's like this and, uh, so that's going to be the uh, Aggie Warham. The Warham, okay. Yeah, because that but, looks cool as shit. <laughs> yeah, the whole the whole stadium sways. It's wild. Mm-hmm. It's always fun to look across the field mm-hmm. uh, and see the other team like looking up at the stands, like going, mm-hmm. going "Holy shit!" Because <laughs> yeah. we've seen it enough now. Yeah, but for them, it's like wow. Oh no! It's I mean, yeah, like. LSU, uh, obviously, Bucketless Place, but like Kyle Field, too, is, you know, uh, just well, one the, of those places the, where. The whole SEC has them, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, seeing the Eagle fly in at Auburn, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Dixieland Delight at Alabama. There's oh, so yeah. many cool things yeah. that happen. Uh, calling the Hogs at Arkansas, you know, if they get to be a good program again, that's a cool place to visit. Fayetteville yeah. Falls, nice. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, all of them are pretty I, – I know Ole Miss, I know attendance-wise, has, like, taken a bit of a hit. But, like, they got that grove – they got the grove there, which is really cool. I just think, like, a lot of SEC schools – and, like, I know, like, the Big Ten, it's only, like, the top four or five are like this. 
I just feel like the SEC, there's more. It doesn't matter how bad our team is, like the place is still going to be mostly full, you know, yeah, with the exception and- of like Vandy. And I, like I said, I think Ole Miss has like taken a bit of a hit. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the only place you'll see chandeliers at a tailgate, though. I'll tell you that. What, Ole Miss? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That They talk about that Grove is like, is, you know, it's, it's just something else. It's, um, it has to be experienced once, but honestly, I prefer Ole Miss tailgates outside of the Grove. Uh, okay. Because they have a certain set of rules inside. Uh, the like, you, you can't. You can't grill in the Grove. You have to bring in food from outside. I did hear that. I don't know where I I, I do remember hearing that, though. Like, someone was, like, in the Grove, and they were trying to, like, I don't know, do shit. And they're like, yeah, you can't do that. I'm like, what What do you mean I can't do that here? Yeah. But And, like, the, the coolers all have to have locks on them. It's it's a wild deal. Yeah, that's, I don't know, that's a little. It, it's still fun. Yeah, like, don't get oh, me wrong. It's still a blast, but I mean, you still like, you got to do it. Um, it would be a pain in the ass to try to deal with all those rules every week as oh, an yeah. Ole fan. Um, my buddies and I this year were going to uh, South Carolina. So the I think South Carolina, obviously, they're not going to have a great team, so that'll tone down the atmosphere mm-hmm. a little bit. But that, I mean, walking around there, it's it's still a pretty good tailgate scene. Uh, the stadium isn't directly on campus which kind of i think kind of hampers it a little bit right uh but it's still a fun time Mm -hmm. no i think it's auburn it's auburn south carolina we're going and we got interesting two two, two first year coaches you never know first year coaches i think auburn i think auburn's like an eight win football team i think south carolina is i mean with beamer i think they could be flirting with six because i think that's right before their schedule gets tough so they might have some wins there. So I don't know. We're hoping for we're hoping for a good uh, a you know, great atmosphere and you know a nice weekend in uh, Columbia. Yeah, Columbia's Columbia's a fun time. Yeah. Um, okay. So oh, before we get into vital information, we kind of missed it in the beginning. Um, I got to ask you: Does Scott Frost make it to the end of the season? Absolutely not. There's no way. I said, I, here's the thing. I think Illinois is about to lose to UTSA this week. I think that UTSA team is really, really good. I mean, I know UTSA is decent. I know they're decent. And, like, I don't know. Is You think Illinois is going to have the hangover? I think they could. And the, the thing is with uh, Sikowski, and, like, if you watch that game in the beginning, he was not comfortable – at all in that second quarter. Like when Peters went down, he like they were it was like third and third and seven, like they're running the ball. I'm like, this is weird. And then he tries to pass it next down. That's where he threw the pick that was called back. But then the third quarter, it was like flat pass, flat or swing pass, hitch, hitch. And it was just all intermediate passes to matriculate. And then they got the you know, corners and the secondary to kind of come in a little bit, and then he beat them deep. So I don't know. Maybe he has some confidence, but like I'm not con- like Sikowski. I'm not convinced with Sikowski. Like I think they need Brandon Peters back. Yeah, but uh, no way Frost makes it to the end of the season. <laughs> and uh, this uh, this OU game is about to be a beatdown. Oh yeah, I told um, Big Game Boomer. I was like, how's it gonna how's it feel to like 
know that you're just going to beat the absolute hell out of Nebraska again. Like, like to where it's just not even going to be fair. Um, honestly, Scott Frost, I said it like, I'm not, I'm not, I'll be surprised if he makes like, or I wouldn't be surprised if he's fired before this releases on Tuesday. Like it wouldn't shock me. I know that's a little far-fetched, but like it would not shock me just because of how disappointing that game was. Cause he got outcoached. Like to me, I think the word outcoached is very overused, but like, I think he was completely outcoached. Yeah. I mean, my thing is I haven't seen any improvement at all out of Adrian Martinez. And I mean, the kid's got talent. And there are ways, even if you know he isn't improving as a passer, there are ways they could still uh, use him to, to make him a productive player with that yep. athleticism. Mm-hmm. And Frost just – it seems like he hasn't schemed for it at all. No. It's like – again, it's like – remember when I said, like, I just said with, like, Sikowski, like, hey, Sikowski's not going to beat you deep. What does that coach do? Because Peters has a big, strong arm. So now Sikowski comes in, he's throwing swing passes, he's throwing, you know, hitches, you know, you know, intermediate routes, crossers, things like that. I just feel like Adrian Martinez, one, doesn't have protection, which is crazy because that offensive line, I'm pretty sure four out of five of them are back from last year. And also their best offense is him just scrambling yep. or draw. Because like what their best play was a quarterback draw. 75 yards. Yeah. Like, man, use him in the option game, like something, because he's got those legs, but I just don't get it. And, like, as Nebraska, like, Illinois in that game got better as the game went on. Nebraska got worse. Yep. Like, I like to look at coaches, like, what are they get? What are they doing at halftime? Does their team improve at halftime? And Nebraska got worse when Illinois got better. So, like, I don't know. Uh and these are Scott Frost's guys. This is year four. Yep. So, like, and I went through his schedule. He's not winning more than five games. If he wins, yeah. it's a miracle. Well, and the thing is, like, it's not like he's in the, the Big Ten East, right? Like, mm-hmm. there are some good, solid teams in the Big Ten West. Iowa's always going to be solid. Uh, Wisconsin's always going to be solid. Mm-hmm. But – yeah, you're not in. You're not in there with like Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, this isn't the the power part of the conference theoretically. Um, so I agree with you. I think the East at the top has more skill guys. Yeah, I guess because you you look there at the bottom with like Rutgers and Maryland. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not a Rut- the East isn't yeah. super. Super no. stacked all the way through. But even but. Ruck, like even Rutgers, Shiano, they, they look better. Yeah. You know? And I know New Jersey, I know Shiano's recruiting Jersey better, but like I honestly think so. Like, I mean, you played for AM. I believe when AM went to the SEC, that unlocked, they may have that unlocked more players they can recruit in the southeast part of the country. Okay. And you're still because you're Texas AM, you're still gonna get guys from Texas. Nebraska is not a hotbed for college football or sorry. It's not a hotbed for high school football. They go to the big 10, which most of those States aren't. And you lose all the kids you used to get from Texas because you're not playing in Texas anymore. Yep. I just think skill wise, they're completely outmatched. Uh, Illinois, or sorry, 
Iowa and Wisconsin are going to bring you that rough, you know, sound football. They're going to have good offensive lines. They're going to play good defense. Okay. You have those two teams in the West. In the East, you have Ohio State, which is a juggernaut. You're going to have Penn State and Michigan, who now are going to have good skill guys that are towards the top. Indiana's decent now, but really in the like West, Tom Allen's done there. Y'all, Tom Allen has done terrific. I do. I don't think they get to nine wins this year, which I think will be disappointing. But still, man, if you're Indiana and win eight games a year, like you keep that guy for life. Yep. But but in the West, like okay, Illinois. I I really like Brom. I really do, and just Purdue just sucks right now, and it's a shame. But you know, you're, you you should beat Purdue. You know, you should beat Illinois. Like you're freaking Nebraska. You know, Northwestern is going to have a tough go around this year. And but like, question is just always that scrappy team that's a pain to deal with, right? That is. I, I do think they take a step back this year just because they lost a whole bunch of guys. But again, Pat Fitzgerald against Scott Frost. Two compl- like Pat Fitzgerald will co- coach circles around Scott Frost. Yeah. So like who knows? But I counted their wins earlier. I only see five wins, if that. Yeah. Five wins. Fordham. The they play somebody else that I can't remember, and then Purdue, and then they have to beat Michigan State and Northwestern to get five. Yeah. Because they're not beating Ohio State, they're not beating Iowa, they're not beating Wisconsin, they're not beating Michigan. So. Who knows? Yeah, so, I mean, like you said, man, there's no way that Scott Frost survives this season. Do you think they wait till the end of the year? Depending on how the losses come, mm-hmm. I could see him making it to the end of the year, but. Just because I, he's a Nebraska guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but, I mean, I think good. everybody's pretty much done with him at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it, it's. It's just crazy to me that you have – like he was at UCF and turned an an 0-12 team, and then the next year won like 10 games, and the year after that went undefeated. Yeah. I mean, at some point you have to wonder if that was McKenzie Milton and not Scott Frost. Exactly. And that's <laughs> the thing. Is this really Scott Frost, or is this just a bad situation and UCF was him? I don't know. And, or it could be a little mix of both, right? Like UCF, I mean, they they may be getting some good players. I mean, they had some years where they had some pretty solid teams, like whenever Bortles was there. Yep. Uh, there, there were times when that, that program put together a good season. Yeah. Oh, uh, absolutely. So you have to wonder if maybe just Nebraska it, as a is program is – Is it a good situation? Is, is Central Florida good – like it was that 0-12 year, just an outlier of really bad luck, just a lot of young guys – and then Frost reap, like reaps the benefits of the past coach. Because remember, that third year, I mean, you still have seniors from the other coach. So I don't know. But how about this? How about they UConn fires Randy Etzel, and let's see if Frost does something at UConn. <laughs> Maybe that'll work. I don't know. I don't know if the Pope himself could revive that program. Poor UConn, freaking! <laughs> and before we get on, like they don't care either. Like they're a one hundred percent of basketball school. It's like them, Kansas. It's like yeah, whatever. Go play football. Uh, 
we're going to invest in basketball and everything else. It's funny because both of those programs had great seasons in the late 2000s. One. Well, Kansas had one. I mean, when they had Mangino, yeah. they had yeah. a few. But then that one year, they blew out Virginia Tech in the Orange Bowl with uh, Tlaib. Tlaib yeah. was on that team. Yeah, was, uh, uh, Todd Reesing was the quarterback. Was he like a big guy? No, he. I think he was like Drew Brees size. Like Drew Brees, like. Yeah. I, I want. I I thought like Kansas had like a like a Jared Lorenzen type quarterback at one point. I don't know. I could be wrong. But no, I don't, I don't uh, think so. But no, God, I love maybe I'm Lorenzen just thinking. Of, maybe I'm just thinking of Lorenzen. Yeah, um, you got to be careful with that. Those Kentucky and Kansas fans will get pissed at you for getting those programs oh, confused. <laughs> you're big blue. No, we're big blue. Oh, shut up. Like, I can't take them. UK, go watch, watch basketball. If you um, really want to make them mad, give, give them the wrong abbreviation. <laughs> oh, yeah, because it's it's UK for Kentucky and then KU for Kansas, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, like, even that right there just shows, like, how awesome for me, like, college football is. Like, how those little things, like, get under, like, fan skins. Um. It's it's next level college football fans are next level petty. Oh, it's it's the pinnacle of petty. It's awesome. It's I I freaking love it. Um, all right, we're gonna play vital information. Okay, I'm gonna give you some rapid fire questions. Um, you got to tell me. Um, you know, first one that comes to mind. If you got to think, whatever. But it's gonna give you some rapid fire questions. Okay. All right, um, let me get the coffee. All right, yeah, get get that fuel in you. There we go. Now he's ready. All right. Okay, here we go. Um, your first favorite player, not of all time, but like the first player, like, man, I really love this guy. Ladanian Tomlinson. Oh, awesome. At uh, Chargers or? TCU is really TCU. I was just going to say, well, I know you're a Texas guy, so I didn't know if it was like. Watching, watching his, uh, him play on TV as a, like a, just a child was the first time that I remember watching football. Awesome. Um, all right, favorite player of all time. Uh, it's probably also going to be Ladainian Tomlinson. That's okay. It's okay to overlap there. Nothing, nothing wrong with uh, like Ladainian Tomlinson <laughs> being your favorite player. Absolutely not. Um, all right, favorite. I usually ask favorite season as a fan, but since you actually played college football, favorite season as a player. Uh, man, I mean, probably that 2013 season. The 2013 season was that with the Duke. Yeah. Is that the Duke win? Yeah. Okay. Um, again, doesn't have to be a and You know what? Let's do this two-parter. Favorite uniform in college football and favorite uniform at A&M. So my favorite uniform at A&M uh, was the year that we wore grays at LSU, 2013. Uh, they wore like a charcoal gray with like yes. a helmet that kind of faded in. Yes. Really, really sweet uniform. Uh, as far as just like favorite uniform uh, non-A&M, Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it is hard to pick against that Notre Dame uniform. Such a classic, clean look. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely! Like, listen, I'll, I'll root against Notre Dame like ninety percent of the time, but there's no doubt that like Notre Dame just has that mystique about them. You yeah. know, that clean, awesome look to them. Like, I hate when they make. I hate when they like if they're gonna wear their greens, fine. But like, I hate when they put the shamrock on the helmet or like do something like. I yeah, hate just that. The clean gold no. dome. That's all you need. Yeah, the, that clean blue with the gold pants. Fine. Listen, wear the greens once a year. That's cool too. But 
get the hell away from all this, you know, different stuff that they're trying to push. Um, how about favorite win as a player? Favorite win as a player is probably Auburn in 2014. I think Auburn was like three or four at the time, and we went into Jordan Heron and upset him. Okay. Awesome. Oh, shit. Yes, I do remember that. Damn. I See, like, you're like uh, you're like rejogging my memory of, like, things like I thought <laughs> I forgot about, you know? Um, okay. Favorite football movie? Favorite football movie is Remember Titans. Oh, I mean, you can't go wrong with that. That's most people's answer. Waterboy is probably 1B, though. Okay. <laughs> That's like the one you watch when, like, you're a kid and you're like – I, I do own a Bobby Boucher jersey. Oh, uh, dude, that's that's great. <laughs> um, all right. Well, you said Boucher, so this might be it. But favorite fictional athlete doesn't even have to be football player. Just a favorite fictional athlete. Since I already said Bobby Boucher, I'll I'll say uh, Thad Castle. Oh, Thad. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sean uh, Sean William Scott's character in Goon is probably yeah, up there also for me. A good too. one. Also, a lot. Oh. <laughs> Um, let's see here. All right, best tradition in college football. I mean, I'm I'm biased for, Do it. for the 12th Say man. Yeah, but I, I I if I can't pick a And M, no, I'm pick going a with, You can pick okay. a And M. Pick a And M. So I'm going just the 12th man in general is the best tradition in college football. Okay, not even uh, the Warham. No, nah, I'd have to go with the 12th man. Just Second place man. would be uh, Howard's Rock at Clemson. I think that's a really cool tradition. Howard's Rock is really cool. Dude, how about um, the, the wideout at Penn State, huh? Wideouts definitely, but it's new. So, like, that's okay. the thing. Like, it has to have so, like, again, like, people call me a homer. I try and be realistic. But, like, Penn State pre-2005 was a very quiet stadium. Okay? 2005, they – I think they the stadium – I think – oh. Maybe 2002. Yeah, 2002, the stadium kind of had expanded a little bit, started coming alive. But before that, Penn State was known for, like, a quiet fan base. And then, like, after that, after 02 and after, especially after 05 Ohio State, it just got a completely new identity of we're going to be the loudest freaking place in the north. Um, but, yeah, whiteout's up there. Um but no, jump dude. around at Wisconsin's a fun jump time. around at Wisconsin. Howard's Rock was really like I touched Howard's Rock, so I, I got that off my college football bucket list. Uh, really cool. Um, but yeah, Howard's Rock's cool. 12th man, though, I gotta get to the 12th man. Um, okay, um, best place to eat in College Station, best place to eat in College Station. Oh man, I'm gonna on the spot. I'd have to say a place called Mad Taco. Mad Taco. Uh, yeah, they do like some kind of really good. Uh, I want to say like craft tacos, almost. Is the okay. Way to it. All right. So like, All right. A, like a chili rub chicken or like a mm-hmm. a jerk pork. There's some some different things that they do there. That's pretty good. Okay. Uh, best bar in College Station. Dixie Chicken. Dixie Chicken. Yep. Okay. That's the spot. All right. I'm also taking notes. Just uh, <laughs> get, get you a get you a two dollar pitcher of Lone Star. All right. <laughs> nice. All right. Yeah. Wait, wait, Lone Star like the beverage or Lone Star like a place? No, no, no. Lone Star Lone Star beer. Lone $2, Star $2 beer. Two dollar pitchers at the chicken. 
Oh man. All right. Play okay. Dominoes. You'll have a good time. <laughs> um, all right. This next one's going to be hard. Okay. What is the best barbecue you've ever had? Uh, so the best barbecue I've ever had, uh, I don't like to rank the spots because I think everybody works their ass off. Barbecue is right. not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would have to say it was actually this year over July 4th weekend at a place called Burnt Bean in uh, Seguin, Texas. Okay. All right. What did you have? Uh, so – Anytime I go to a barbecue restaurant, mm-hmm. the three things that I judge it off of are brisket, mm-hmm. uh, pork ribs, yep. and sausage, which is the Texas Trinity. Mm-hmm. So we got that, but then we also got a smoked pork chop that was absolutely electric. Uh, we got turkey because, I mean, you know, sometimes you want to see if the uh, the spots showing off of their poultry products. That's how mm-hmm. you know they really care. Right. And then the sides, I mean, they had like a – a flaming hot Cheetos topped mac and cheese that was really good. They did like a, a Mexican style street corn. We call it a lotus down here. Uh, I'm trying to think what else, man. They did a, a big red cake, which is a, a nice Texas dessert. Uh, I mean, dude, it was just sensational. Like, And the, the thing was, like, everything was good top to bottom on the menu. Mm-hmm. All the meats were delicious. All the sides were delicious. And dessert was delicious. Oh, man. You always got to see. I'm, I like dessert, but usually when I go to those places, I'm like so full. I'm like, I can't even think about dessert. The, the trick is to make sure you leave room for dessert and then make leftovers. Uh, yeah. Take leftovers with you. You can do some fun stuff with barbecue leftovers, right? Like make some like uh, breakfast tacos the next morning mm-hmm. if you chop up the brisket nice in there. A uh, little egg, brisket, and cheese on a taco. Oh, Pretty man. damn good. That sounds good. Yeah, I feel like you got to have a little bit of this little like taste test everything to like save that room for dessert. And then, like you said, take it home and then do some things with it afterwards. Yep. I mean, if you get really creative, you can do like some enchiladas, go ahead and roll it up in a tortilla and get some sauce going. I mean, like a, a good salsa verde with brisket mm-hmm. enchiladas. Pretty damn good. I should have ate before I did this. <laughs> um, okay, which is going to lead us into the playoff this week. Um, our playoff segment is brought to you by Odds Crowd. Are you the best or better in the U.S.? Odds Crowd has fantasy betting and leagues that include over $30,000 in cash prizes when you bet on NFL and college football. I'm taking part in odds odds crowd, so let's see where your bets stack up against mine. Here's how it works. Once you enter a contest, you play you place fantasy bets, not actual money, against real odds and lines. The most profitable bettors rise up the leaderboard. If you have the highest profit at the end of the contest, you win. And odds crowd isn't just fantasy betting contests. It's a social app for, for sports bettors. Free to download. You can group chat with other bettors. Track your bets, set up a private fantasy contest with your buddies, and much more. So download the app for free, and when you are there, put in referral code BRAN13. That's B-R-A-N-13. That'll tell them that Jake sent you. So download Odds Crowd today. All right. So our playoff is best tailgate food. Okay, best tailgate foods, foods that you absolutely need at a tailgate. Okay, so Jay, start us off. 
All right. Uh, so when we're saying best tailgate foods, are we just saying the best that we've ever had or the no, things that you just, think are essential? Uh, essential. So like okay. just in general, like if you're going to make a tailgate, what are the food that um, that you personally need at the tailgate? All right. So uh, I'll start with the liquid diet. You're going to have beer. Oh, hang on. Is beer a food? <laughs> I think so. Oh, my God. I think you have to include it. Can you have okay. a tailgate without beer? I will. I will include it. It's oh, it's funny. So it's funny you say that. The last podcast I did uh, it was called Juke Sports. I did it with uh, one of my buddies, and we had like a similar thing with like tailgate or like the ballpark or whatever, like ballpark foods. And he said, "Oh, beer." I said, "That's not a food." He's like, "Oh no, beer is a hundred percent." As we had like a little like ten minute argument about you, you can make uh, the argument that it's not but no i'll I go mean, to be fair the industry is always considered the food and drink industry okay so i, th- I think right. you have to lump them together okay we i will include beer on yours okay <laughs> right, i will perfect. include i will also i will also put out a uh a poll because we got to see is beer considered a food uh all right, so my number four is a for breakfast tailgate, okay, which is my personal favorite type of tailgate, but bacon, okay, perfect for breakfast tailgates, a nice piece of bacon in the morning, also mix that with orange juice, uh, regular or spiked, depending on your preference, and when you're done, when you're done cooking the bacon, when you're done grilling that bacon, you have, you make pancakes over it. So then you get that bacon grease with the pancakes. Oh, you have pancake to. Mix. Oh, it's beautiful. So it, it it not only are you getting bacon, but it also enhances another food you're bringing to the tailgate. So I got bacon number four. So for my next pick, I was going to go with breakfast tacos. Ooh, okay. Yes. So, I mean, a lot of games you'll have an early kick. And, you know, you want to get out there and get after it early. Mm-hmm. Breakfast tacos, I mean – I don't. I don't know that you necessarily prepare them there. I think it may be something that you bring in as opposed mm-hmm. to uh, cooking it at the tailgate. Uh, but you get like uh, some breakfast tacos wrapped up in aluminum right. foil. Do the same thing, right? Orange juice, spiked or not, depending on how you do it. Me personally, I like a little sunny D and vodka. Uh, but <laughs> good choice, Jay. Good uh, choice. Tacos. Breakfast right. tacos is my number three. Okay. Um, so my next pick, we're going with something I think that is more northern because this hits the spot on a nice brisk fall evening or you know getting closer to your colder games, but chili. Chili hits the spot on like that fall. It's like 40, 50 degrees out. Um, you know, at the tailgate at Happy Valley, I gotta give a shout out to the Carr family specific uh the Carr family, specifically Steve Carr. If you're listening, thank you for making the chili for the tailgate because it is phenomenal. Beans and y'all's chili up there? Oh yeah, we put beans in the chili. <laughs> That's a big Texas debate is whether beans go in chili or not. Oh, absolutely beans go in chili. <laughs> are you wait? Are people you, people you, get mad at you in Texas if you don't really do put beans in your chili. Yes. So so what what do they put in it? Just regular. It's a, it's a, it's a Texas red. Uh, you just get your your chili. The I guess the sauce is what you'd call mm-hmm. it, and the meat. And that's it. I mean, I don't love the beans. I'll eat the beans, okay. But I'm kind of curious with the Texas one because I I kind of like that. 
I kind of, you know, I kind of like more meat, less beans type of thing. But oh yeah, dude, it's I, no I didn't know that all. was like a big thing in Texas. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very common argument to have. It's a big debate. Um, but sticking on food? sticking on that, that cold weather food. Okay, uh, you know chili is a great one. Mm-hmm. But if you ever go to an LSU tailgate, cold oh, weather, yeah, jambalaya, jambalaya, jambalaya is first of all you can make it in huge batches. Mm-hmm. So as long as you have the right ratios, you can buy enough. Uh, you know, you like to make it with chicken thighs and sausages the way I do it. You don't want to really do a seafood jambalaya mm-hmm. for a uh, for a tailgate, but you do a chicken and sausage jambalaya, make huge batches, and it is unreal on a, on a winter morning. You need to warm up the stomach. Just that hearty mixture of rice, chicken, and sausage. Can't oh, That sounds so good. Yes, definitely. I did not have any of, like, the southern – foods on here after thinking about it but again i mean it's different cultures though but all right my number two uh pulled pork uh when done right i think it can be the best thing at a tailgate you can either have it you know eat it with a you know put it on there eat it with a fork or my personal favorite put it on a roll get some barbecue sauce or whatever sauce you might have put it on there have a really good sandwich that is going to fill you up a little bit, you know, and kind of intake a lot of the uh, beverages that you're drinking. So it's funny that you say pulled pork because pulled pork is actually my number one. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I actually agree with you. Uh, but my, my caveat is that while I'd like to have brisket at tailgate, mm-hmm. I think brisket is a lot harder to execute. I think yeah. pork's a little more forgiving mm-hmm. uh, and you can cook higher quantities of it. It's a little bit cheaper as well. Uh, but it's like you said, man, throw it on a roll, or if you're in Texas, throw it on a tortilla, make you a little pulled pork taco. All right. Yes. Little tort, uh, little, not pork roll, but, uh, you know, a pork, uh, pork taco, pork, uh, quesadilla type action. Yeah. You could do, if you get like a little black sewn griddle, uh, get some, get some cheese on there, make you a little. Nice pulled pork quesadilla with a little bit of pico in there. It's perfect. Oh, man. Okay. My number one is pretty basic, but I believe it is the cornerstone to any tailgate, and that is the cheeseburger. Okay. Old reliable, no matter what tailgate, you got to have good burgers. Um, personally, I like the ones that are hand hand rolled the night before. Um my guy Dylan, who actually made the uh, made the the Get Back Coach logo, he does his lake burgers. He puts some onions and peppers in there, mixes them up with the meat, grills them, gives it a little bit of kick. Uh, absolutely to die for. But I think a good cheeseburger is the cornerstone of a tailgate. So cheeseburger is my number one. Great pick. Okay, you go wrong with a cheeseburger. So here's so our final list. Since we both had pulled pork, I think pulled pork needs to be our number one. That's 100% fair. Okay. Pulled pork is going to be our number one. Okay. From there. Okay. From there. I do want to get cheeseburger in there. Okay. Because I just feel like it needs I, I think to be it's, it's such a reliable piece that it has to be on there. Okay. So cheeseburger on there. Okay. And now we're looking at. 
What was your three and oh, four was beer. What was your three? So uh, my three was God, I'm trying. I forgot what I said. I think I had a. I think I had jambalaya yeah, the, too. Oh yeah, you had jambalaya too. Okay. How about we put jambalaya at? We'll put jambalaya in there too with the final list because I feel like okay. that does need to be represented. Yeah, get a little um, southern representation in there. A little bit of southern rep. Absolutely. We're I all said about bre- breakfast tacos were my number three. Breakfast tacos were with four or three. Um, all right, number four. Hmm. How about this? Let's round it off. All right, either chili or uh, breakfast tacos. I mean, it's uh, it's tough, right? Like uh, the thing is, I think you can do tacos with pulled pork so okay they could already have the representation so you can already have that representation i would love for chili just to be on there for just because i know in the north i think it's a very it um a lot of people do it just because again it's going to be cold outside and stuff and see and, and for the cold weather games a lot of times in the south they'll get chili too yeah uh, it's just we don't have as much of a window right to make it you're like the last week of November and December, whereas like if you're in Big Ten country from the middle of October on, you're going to have a brisk morning, <laughs> you know? Exactly. So let's see if – how about number four, chili, number three, um, jambalaya, two, cheeseburger, number one, pulled pork. I think that's got to be it. All right. All right, here we go. The best tailgate foods, number four, chili, number three, the Louisiana's own jambalaya, number two, old reliable, the cornerstone of a tailgate, the cheeseburger, and number one, which should be everybody's favorite, pulled pork. That's it. That's That's it. it. That's it. That's the list right there. That is the list. So what will happen, Jay? And everyone who listens to the show knows um, we'll have on – I'm trying to think. On Wednesday, we'll have pulled pork up against chili. And then we'll also have uh, the cheeseburger against – Jambalaya. Jambalaya. (laughs) And then then we'll have the final on Thursday. We'll also have on Tuesday – or sorry, that'll be Wednesday, final on – sorry, misspoke. Uh, Tuesday we'll have your list versus my list. All right. Okay. Yep. And then uh, Wednesday we'll have the semis. Thursday the final. And we also got to put in there at some point: is beer considered a food? <laughs> the bonus poll. The bonus poll. Um, but all right, that is that is it for us today. Jay, thank you for coming on. Oh, Jay, do you want to um, put out your socials? So everyone can follow you. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to follow me on Twitter, I have an extremely obnoxious name. It's at J just letter Arnold T A M U 85. So that's J A R N O L D T A M U 85 on Twitter. Uh, and then on Instagram, I'm a little bit simpler. Uh, it's my name, J underscore Arnold 96. It's a lot easier to do, and I should have had my Twitter name change that before I got the blue check, but now I don't want to lose it. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> um, also, um, make sure you guys uh, 
you know, make sure you tell a friend about us. If anyone likes college football, listen, we're going to be ramping up uh, even more college football content as the season goes on. Make sure you follow us at uh, Twitter at the GB coach. And then on Twitter at get back coach Jay, it was a ton of fun. Everyone else listening. Have a great week.